For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. Nearly all Oklahomans are getting the chance to get the coronavirus vaccine. The state opened up to individuals in Phase 3 to include college students, staff, and faculty, as well as child care facilities and critical infrastructure personnel. Neva, what does it mean for Oklahoma to move into the next to the last phase? Well, I think it's tremendous news. I mean, obviously, Oklahoma has really been on the forefront in terms of the percentage of uh, individuals to to get the uh, vaccinations. It now appears that the vast majority of Oklahomans are eligible to get vaccinated. And certainly uh, there is a great uh, a great push, great emphasis on this, trying to make sure people are educated. The state health department uh, just this week rolled out a Spanish version on its registration portal uh, to um, uh, increase awareness and try to uh, help the education process. Uh, so I think I think we've seen, you know, I think we've seen great success overall. Clearly, we've got a ways to go, uh, but we are we are at least in a very proactive mode. And I think, uh, you know, in, in, even in the instance of individuals like myself who are who have had both both shots, uh, it, it is a tremendous uh, uh, a tremendous relief, I think, for so many Oklahomans to know not only that the shots uh, are available uh, and becoming more and more available across the state, but uh, the fact that uh, this hopefully will welcome a very uh, positive, uh, a positive outlook toward uh, the summer and later on in the year when perhaps uh, perhaps we're not totally um, kind of having this as the conversation uh, at the forefront of almost every every discussion people have when they're together. And uh, I think the health department says of 20 percent of Oklahomans have gotten at least the first shot, Ryan. So this means we're at least getting there in some way. Yeah, this I mean, this is huge news. And, and you think about the timing of it. It comes uh, you know, exactly a year from the, the time that, that the world uh, at least, you know, the, the world as it pertains to the United <laughs> States, you know, really shut down. Uh, you know, it, was, it was a year ago that we saw the Thunder game uh, interrupted and, and the, the game called off and the NBA shut down uh, playing. And, you know, I, I remember uh, so much about it. I think that we all do. I mean, we'll all kind of remember where we were when that happened. And, uh, you know, sending I was at the ACLU at the time. And I remember sending a, an email to the staff that night saying that we were going to close the office down and go remote the next morning. Uh, coming to KOSU uh, for the last time that we were all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I brought my daughter down with me. We we passed the, the NBA bus for it was Utah Jazz, right? You passed the, yeah. the Utah Jazz bus as they were leaving out of town um, and uh, came into came into the studio. And we just what a what a remarkable turn of events. Um, you know, we, we've been through so much uh, tragedy uh, and uh, and but also um, amazing instances of persever- perseverance and resilience and innovation. And that's where we really see this vaccine. And, 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 a, and a big congratulations to so many people in the state that have you know, really led uh, an unprecedented and uncharted vaccine distribution effort in Oklahoma. You know, there's, you know, all of that said, there's, there's still some concerns and there's still you know, room for improvement. Um, you know, people in congregational areas in particular and jails and prisons, we're seeing the number of cases I'm, I'm hearing at the Department of Corrections and some facilities where they're seeing a spike there. You know, as the, as the rest of the world is, is returning to, to normal, people that are incarcerated and they don't have any choice but to be in these 
uh, these tight uh, environments uh, with with other people, we're seeing spikes there. And you know, they those were those individuals were opened up for eligibility in, in phase two, but a lot of them, if any, haven't received that vaccine. And and jails, you know, those are folks that are sitting in jail before they've been convicted of anything. Uh, that's a county by county deal, and there's not a lot of transparency in terms of who's getting vaccinated there. So there's a lot of amazing news, a lot to reflect on this week, and, and still some work to do moving forward. The Pardon and Parole Board votes to listen to new evidence in the commutation request by death row inmate Julius Jones. The three-to-one decision came despite opposition from Attorney General Mike Hunter and Oklahoma County District Attorney David Prater. Ryan, what does this mean for supporters of Julius Jones? I think that this means that, uh, I mean, this is this is huge news. It's, it's, it's terribly exciting, um, and I think everyone should be cautiously optimistic. I mean, this, uh, you know, supporters of, of Mr. Jones shouldn't, you know, don't don't pop the, the champagne just yet. There's there's a long road still to go. There's a, a second stage at the Pardon and Parole Board, and you still have the governor uh, who's going to have the final say on this. Governor Stitt will ultimately have the final say. So there's still a lot that has to happen, um, but it is, um, when you talked about pressure from the Attorney General uh, and pressure from Oklahoma County District Attorney David Prater that uh, that they that they heaped on top of the pardon and parole board, asking them to reject this uh, commutation application. Um, when you look at when you look at that, there's also pressure from the legislature. You know, lawmakers uh, have uh, proposed legislation that would require members of the pardon and parole board to recuse themselves, and that's largely in response to allegations made by David Prater, the Oklahoma County District Attorney, against members of the pardon and parole board uh, and. And you know they're perhaps you know bias. Uh, I think that more than anything else, those those allegations are are empty. Uh, mm-hmm. The the members of that pardon and parole board, you know, largely a volunteer position, um, are you know taking the time to study these cases, study all of the evidence in front of them. They'd study more of the evidence, but you know not all of it's been turned over uh, by prosecutors in this case. So I think that uh, you know a clear look at this facts at the very least you know, leads people to believe that there's reasonable doubt in this case, if not the fact that Mr. Jones is outright innocent. He had terribly ineffective assistance of counsel. And there were, uh, you know, deeply troubling allegations of, of racism from the moment that he was arrested throughout his trial. Um, and, you know, those those questions, along with you know, multiple people now saying that um, other people have, conv- another person has confessed to this crime mm-hmm. and that Mr. Jones was set up um, you know, should should give us all pause, you know, regardless of where you're at in Oklahoma on the on the death penalty um, or on criminal justice reform, that kind of evidence and these kinds of, of red flags should make us all step back and say this person should not at the very least, this person should not be executed. Neva. Well, I think this is it is an interesting case and certainly one that is high profile. We've had instances where millions have signed petitions in support of uh, of uh, Mr. Jones. We've had the celebrity factor with the Kim Kardashians and uh, and prominent uh, athletes and others uh, that have um, called for his release. But it, as you as you pointed out, uh, Ryan, uh, we do have the the facts and the case that's being laid out by the attorney general uh, uh, information that also uh, Oklahoma County uh, District Attorney David Prater uh, sent to the board a letter last week, basically uh, basically saying that this claim uh, in Mr. Jones commutation application that he was at home having dinner with his family on the night of the murder. Uh, he in his letter said that uh, it was Jones himself that 
that uh, that told the um, uh, attorneys in the evidentiary hearing that uh, that his family was mistaken and he was not at home that night. So there's a lot of there's a lot of information out there. Certainly, the 33-page protest letter by the attorney general, the eight, the 849 pages, I believe it was, appendix that was submitted uh, on Monday. I mean, where they outline a case that they believe invalidates every claim that Julius Jones um, says that, uh, that he's innocent. So this is a this is a this is one for the for the courts. This is one uh, where there is a process. And I think uh, there certainly have been a lot of uh, a lot of questions, I think, related to, to the Garden and Parole Board. Uh, we had the uh, uh, district attorney um, saying that uh, that one of the members should recuse himself. Uh, the general counsel to the board then saying that there was no mechanism to force a recusal. So there there's going to c- continue to be a lot of controversy surrounding this case, a lot of conversation. Uh, and we'll just have to see what happens as this goes through the next phase uh, in this commutation effort. Attorney General Mike Hunter is joining a multi-state lawsuit against the Biden administration and the president's executive order to tackle climate change. The lawsuit includes Republican attorneys general from 12 other states. Neva, what is the gist of this lawsuit? Well, basically, these 12 Republican attorneys general are, have signed on to a federal lawsuit that basically is arguing that the president lacks the authority to ask federal agencies to calculate the cost of uh, the greenhouse gas gas emissions to uh, inform uh, future federal regulations. And and there are other things in that. Uh, if, uh, in, in the executive order, it revokes the Keystone uh, pipeline permit, which uh, gets, a, gets a lot of... Uh, uh, talk, but it's really a symbolic gesture because this has been uh, um, this has been something tied up in in the court for years with legal challenges. But it it, it is an interesting it is an interesting challenge by these uh, uh, these attorneys general in talking about does it or does it not violate the separation of powers clause in the Constitution uh, between uh, because Congress it's Congress not the president they contend that has the power to regulate so. so you know, in the instance of the president, he was making good on a campaign promise. I mean, he said uh, throughout his campaign on the campaign trail that uh, he believed climate change was an existential threat. And and he he bowed from the get go that he was going to be an aggressive president on the issue of uh, of the environment. So I think we're just seeing this play out and we will see a lot of opposition uh, from uh, from folks across the country uh, on issues like what we see in this particular executive order. Ryan. You know, I, I don't think that this lawsuit has any traction. And, and, and whenever I say it doesn't have any traction, it doesn't have any traction in the federal judiciary uh, that is largely dominated by Republican appointees at this point. So, I mean, w- we saw that with a lot of the, the frivolous lawsuits that were filed, uh, you know, challenging and contesting the validity of the election, many by these same uh, Republican attorneys general around the state or around the United States and courts just dismissed them. And I I think that the courts see these lawsuits for what they are, is that they're press press releases that are trying to pose as a lawsuit. Um, And if anything, uh, they'll be able to dismiss these because they're just not ripe yet. Um, You know, from a justiciability standard of the, uh, an article three, they, the Article Three courts or federal courts can hear cases and controversies. Well, there has to be a case or a controversy, and there's just simply not one yet. The Biden administration is well within its uh, uh, executive powers to be able to tell its uh, appointees and agencies 
to develop a standard. Um, and then the Biden administration can decide how to apply that standard until they until there's some action um, that has been premised upon these new numbers that the Biden administration is requesting. I think it's difficult to say that there's any case or controversy. Also, if you look back at just selective prosecution, right? Uh, if you look back, President Obama set the social cost of greenhouse emissions at $50 uh, per uh, ton of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, President Trump then set the cost at set the social cost at seven dollars. So this is something that President Trump did in his administration. Now President Biden has set an interim social cost at fifty-one dollars, which is fifty dollars plus you know some accounting for inflation, and then asked this uh, committee to uh, to review uh, what that cost should actually be moving forward. So uh, this is again, I think that this is a bunch of Republican attorneys general that are trying to give themselves some political cover in the event that they get a primary opponent in any of their upcoming elections. And the actual legal merits of this um, are little. And if they want to have a case, they need to wait until there's some action that the Biden administration, Biden administration has predicated upon these new numbers by social cost. The state Senate passes a bill designed to crack down on protests after last year's Black Lives Movement in Oklahoma. Senate Bill 806 increases penalties for unlawful assembly, rioting, and failure to disperse. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this bill? Yeah, you know, I think that you know we saw a range of bills that were targeted at the protesters and not targeted at responding to what the protesters were assembling for in, in mostly peaceful, uh, mostly peaceful, not entirely, but mostly peaceful protest over the summer uh, across the United States of America. Folks are coming together asking for police reform, police accountability. And the state legislature has almost in Oklahoma, at least, has ignored that entirely. Uh, there were a handful of very modest measures. I mean, these weren't defund the police measures. These are incredibly modest and reasonable measures that would have brought about small uh, changes in accountability and transparency in law enforcement in the state of Oklahoma. Those bills didn't even get a hearing. And instead of focusing on the root causes of why people came out to protest, we've seen a number of bills that would uh, seek to punish protesters, that would chill the First Amendment uh, speech rights of the protesters. And in one instance, a, a bill that would give a blank check to individuals to maim or kill protesters with their uh, with their cars in the event that they were under a reasonable fear that they needed to escape. Um, you know, those these are all incredibly extreme measures. And I, I think that the kinds of measures that uh, often get Oklahoma national condemnation from other states uh, and organizations that, you know, as, as we're as we're trying to bill ourselves, as, as Governor Stitt likes to say, as a top 10 state, uh, and, and folks like Mayor Halter out around the country trying to recruit people to Oklahoma, to our, 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 our new convention center and everything that's happening in Oklahoma City. Um, you know, these are the kinds of the bills and legislation that give Oklahoma um, a, a tarnished reputation among our peer states. And, and it's unfortunate that we're not really focusing on the underlying issues of why people were showing up in the streets to begin with. That's been entirely ignored by this legislature. Neva. Well, I think what we have is a topic that is lively in many states. I think there are more than 30 states uh, that have introduced legislation this year um, on on topics like what you just described. And in the instance of, of the bill, Senate Bill 806 by uh, Senator Daryl Weaver, I think it's important rather than just 
just to generalize these bills is to look at look at the specifics. That bill would make it a misdemeanor for uh, protesters to block or restrict traffic on public streets or highways as a result of a riot or unlawful assembly. So uh, as Senator Weaver said, I believe in his uh, debate, uh, being a strong proponent of free speech, being someone who uh, had a long law enforcement career, uh, 28 years with the uh, Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drug uh, Drugs Control, ending his career uh, in his last years as the agency's director. Here's someone who uh, knows his stuff. And he said, that uh, that that it was an important it, it was important legislation, and he also went on in that particular bill to classify willful or unlawful touching of law enforcement officers as assault and battery. And the key word there is is willful, uh, someone who intentionally seeks to harm a uh, an officer. So I think. Uh, there is clearly the right to peaceably assemble. I mean, every I think there's no real argument on that point, but there is a debate and there is an argument on what needs to take place when uh, when things go beyond the norm, when things uh, uh, draw into question whether or not the, there is safety for uh, all the individuals that may be involved directly or indirectly uh, in in some sort of um, assembly. So I think I think we saw some bills quickly die that were uh, that were once that that were that went too far, that weren't well thought out, that were knee jerk. But there were some bills in hearing that uh, people always argue the the uh, whether uh, they should or should not. But this is a this is an area I think in terms of uh, legislation that we not only will see what happens in this legislative session. I think we'll continue to see interim studies as we saw last summer um, uh, on some of these topics, and we will see uh, more legislation in the, in in the years to come because this is a. This is a subject that uh, the public has a great deal of interest in, as well as lawmakers. You know, lawmakers can say that their intent on these bills is, you know, whatever they want to say it is. But at, at the end of the day, what happens is these become tools in the hands of prosecutors to punish individuals or, or put the threat of criminal punishment on individuals for even just showing up at these events. And, you know, we, we've and I, I don't think the prosecutors are lacking for any tools in prosecuting people that commit crimes while they're uh, showing up at an otherwise peaceful assembly. I mean, we've seen the extreme example of that where somebody you know broke some windows, which, you know, is a crime. And you know, people should be held accountable for breaking some windows. Um, I mean, that you shouldn't just get away with that. But uh, we've seen prosecutors in Oklahoma, uh, in Oklahoma County, charge individuals with terrorism. Uh, charges for breaking windows. And so every one of these new crimes becomes a, a new law that can be weaponized by prosecutors uh, who are almost always allies of law enforcement uh, against people that are exercising their constitutional rights or want to, and this could possibly chill their, their speech and, and make them think twice about showing up in the streets whenever they would otherwise want to be out there lending their their presence and their voice to a movement that they believe in, whatever that movement is. I mean, we're talking, I think most of these are targeted at Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that, but whatever the protest is, nobody should have to think twice about, am I going to accidentally be you know caught up in a situation where I'm, I'm charged with a crime uh, just for doing something that's that's otherwise lawful and protected by the United States Constitution? In looking at the kind of other bills that uh, uh, legislation, there was a Senate bill that 
increased requirements for continuing uh, uh, law enforcement training that included mental health training uh, for full-time officers. So I think that I think that we have seen some of these pieces of legislation have by you know have some bipartisan support, have some uh, and have have certainly earned a serious consideration uh, in the debate on the floor and and as they've moved through the legislative process. The House passes a bill supporters say will also reduce the amount of civil unrest in Oklahoma. House Bill 2030 would require high school students to pass a U.S. citizenship test to graduate. Neva, how would this impact protests the state saw last year? Well, I, I, I don't know the specifics of the argument on um on that point, but I do believe that the the idea of a civics portion of the U.S. naturalization test, uh, high school students being able to pass that before graduating, uh, it would be would be uh, would be important to have. I think it it certainly had uh, support in the House when it uh, passed, even though uh, House Democrats uh, put, uh, were firmly against the bill. I think this is something that we're not setting a high bar for high school seniors to pass this test. If, in fact, some of the arguments that were made by Democrats on the on the uh, floor about the fact that there already is this in-depth uh, um, teaching by uh history teachers and eighth grade on it into the high, high school years uh, that if in fact that is true, then it should be a, it should be a no brainer that students would be able to easily pass what is not deemed a difficult, uh, a difficult test at all. If one has studied or learned the basics of, uh, of our, of our, United States Constitution of the, our form of government and just the basics of how government operates in this country. So um, I think I, I think the the dust up on this uh, it, to me seems uh, doesn't seem very wise. I think this is the type of thing that we should uh, uh, in really encourage uh, in terms of education. Uh, it's something that we wouldn't have. 20 or 30, this would have just been understood as part of uh, what people, uh, as as you went through school, you just learned these things. Now, there clearly is a void, I think, in in, um, in an understanding of some of these things. And we'll have to see, we'll have to see what the outcome is. But to me, it is, uh, I, I think it is a bill that is worthy of serious consideration. Ryan, what's wrong with high school graduates proving that they know at least as much as people who are wanting to be citizens, citizens of the country? Yeah, absolutely nothing. There, there, there's, there's, there's totally nothing wrong with the idea behind um, asking our graduates to demonstrate some competency in, in civics and and government and social studies. I mean, and American history. I mean, that's. Uh, you know, I think that that's all perfectly fine. The folks that debated and, and voted against this bill even said as much. They said that there's nothing wrong with that. It's really the intent behind the bill uh, that I think has folks troubled and. You know, there's there's this idea I, that uh, whether it was expressed or not, there's this idea that if people only knew how the government operated, then they wouldn't have you know been in the streets uh, exercising their First Amendment rights um, and and demonstrating across the United States in response to police violence uh, largely uh, affected upon uh, communities of color around the United States. And so, you know, there's this you know maybe if if Oklahomans and and people in, in uh, Minnesota had 
you know, I guess just known that they could show up at their lawmaker's door and knock on the door and, and have a conversation with a one-on-one -on -one constituent that they'd be able to get police reform and accountability and transparency. Uh, I don't think that that's what's happened. I mean, and, and frankly, you know, we've had, we had these, these protests because things haven't happened for years and years and decades and decades. And what's happening in the Oklahoma legislature this year, I think just underscores uh, the lack of political responsiveness that led to the unrest and the, uh, uh, the constitutionally protected protest that happened over the summer. Criminal justice reform uh, this year at the state legislature, uh, you know, something that both parties like to talk about as, as a priority is largely dead. Uh, you know, you know, and these were modest reforms. This wasn't a huge criminal justice reform year to begin with, but most of the uh, you know, bigger criminal justice reform measures are dead uh, even before bills switch from one chamber to the next uh, in this deadline week. Um, bills that would increase police accountability and transparency and training uh, in response to, you know, directly in response to the protest over the summer, those are dead. You know, many of them didn't even get hearings uh, in front of a committee. And so, you know, that's, that's the real issue here. I don't think anybody is debating against uh, increasing requirements or, or uh, around civics and education for students or, or you know, maybe investing in that more in our schools, even though I can tell you government and, and civics teachers around the state are doing a great job already. Uh, I don't think that we're going to see, um, you know, we're not going to see an end to the civil unrest. If anything, um, you know, once people realize more about their constitutional rights, they're going to, they're going to show up more and they're going to demand more from their, from their lawmakers. And, and maybe, you know, the, the legislature itself, uh, who just last week was trying to pass a piece of legislation at the state level that would usurp the authority of the federal government and federal courts to decide what is and isn't unconstitutional. Maybe some lawmakers uh, you know, could, could uh, benefit from sitting down and looking at our form of government and the way, the way it's set up and, and federalism itself and the powers of the states and the powers of the federal government. Nobody's arguing that. Uh, I think that it's just the intent behind this and the lack of, of response to the underlying issues of why people showed up in the streets to begin with over the summer. And Neva and Ryan's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.